Today's read, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Chapter 11, The Need for Service Rather Than Leadership. In this untoward situation, the Negro finds himself at the close of the third generation from emancipation. He has been educated in the sense that persons directed a certain way are more easily controlled. Or as Ovid remarked, in time, the bull is brought to bear the yoke. The Negro in this state continues as a child. He is restricted in his fear to small things and with these he becomes satisfied. His ambition does not rise any higher than to plunge into the competition with his fellows for these trifles. At the same time, those who have given the race such false ideals are busy in the higher spheres from which Negroes, by their miseducation and racial guidance, have been disbarred. Examples of this failure of the miseducated Negro to have high ideals may be cited. The author has known numerous cases of Negro lawyers, physicians, and businessmen who, while attending local Sunday schools, churches, and lodges, have fallen out about trifles like a resolution or the chairmanship of a committee which so embittered them as to make themselves enemies for life and stumbling blocks preventing any such thing as organization or community cooperation. It is a common on occurrence to see a Negro well situated as a minister or teacher aspiring to a political appointment which temporarily pays little more than what he is receiving and offers no distinction except that of being earmarked as a Jim Crow job set aside for some Negro who has served well the purposes of the bosses as a ward healer in a campaign. Negroes who have begun promising business enterprises sometimes abandon them temporarily for the same sort of empty honor. In this way, they have been known to hamper their business by incurring the displeasure of ambitious politicians who might otherwise patronize them. Negroes of this point of view have developed in that part of the country where it is thought that the most distinguished persons in the community are those who hold and exploit the local offices or those who are further honored with positions in the state and nation. While this may apply in the case of the oppressors, the few positions allotted the Negroes are magnified beyond all reasonable bounds. This comes as a natural result, however, for the education of the Negro requires it. The ambitious, miseducated Negro in the struggle for the little things allotted by others prevents any achievement of the people in matters more constructive. Potentially, the colored people are strong, although they are actually 
week. This much ado about nothing renders impossible cooperation, the most essential thing in the development of a people. The ambitious of this class do more to keep the race in a state of turmoil and to prevent it from serious community effort than all the other elements combined. The one has a job that the other wants, or the one is a leader of a successful faction and the other is a struggling is struggling to support him, to supplant him. Everything in the community then must yield ground to this puerile contest. In one city of a few thousand Negroes, there is no chance for community cooperation because of the antagonism of the Methodist and Baptist preachers in charge of the two largest churches. The one is determined to dictate the appointment of the teaching corps and the social welfare workers. The other is presently struggling to undo everything accomplished by his opponent. The one is up today and the other in ascendancy tomorrow. Several efforts have been made to start business enterprises there, but none has succeeded because one faction tears down what the other built up. In another city, the cleavage is along political lines. Preachers are there, but a lawyer and a dentist plunging into politics have dispossessed the clergy of the stage. The leader of one faction is so bitterly opposed to the other that he even warns strangers against going to the home of his adversary. To present a sane proposition to the community through one of these leaders means local warfare rather than an effort to work together for the common good. Consequently, although there are thousands of Negroes living together in one quarter, they have no business enterprises of worth. The selfish struggle for personal aggrandizement, which has not yet brought either faction more than an appointment on the police force or a clerkship in one of the city offices, thus blocks the social and economic progress of thousands of unoffending people. In another state, the ambition of the highly educated Negro is restricted to becoming principals of the high schools. The neglected state school has not developed sufficiently to become attractive. The warring area then is in the cities. In one of them where several Negroes own considerable wealth, which, if pooled and properly used, would produce all but wonderful results, the petty strife has been most disastrous. Little thought is given to social uplift, and economic effort is crushed by factional wrangling. Before the author had been in one of the towns an hour, a stalwart of one faction sounded him, on becoming a candidate for the position held by the principal of the high school. A few minutes thereafter, another approached him for advice as to how to, quote-unquote, get him out. The high cost of this childishness to the community 
can be estimated only by taking into consideration the fact that this strife is all but endless. If it were a matter that developed now and then only to be forgotten by people directing their attention thereafter to more important things, it would not do much harm, but this confusion continues for years. Sometimes it grips a community for a whole generation, vitiating the entire life of the people. In spite of the meager rewards, however, the idea of leadership looms high in the Negro mind. It always develops thus among oppressed people. The oppressor must have some dealing with the despised group, and rather than have contact with individuals, he approaches the masses through his own spokesman. The term itself connotes a backward condition. In its strides upward, a race shuffles off its leaders because they originate outside of the group. They constitute a load that sinks the oppressed in the mire of trials and tribulations. Leadership is usually superimposed for the purpose of directing the course of the ostracized group along sane lines. This was accomplished during the days of slavery by restricting the assembly of Negroes in certain times and places and compelling them to meet in the presence of a stipulated number of the wisest and discreetest men of the community. These supervisors of the conduct of Negroes would prevent them from learning the truth which might make them quote-unquote unruly or ambitious to become free. After the Negroes became free, the same end was reached by employing a Negro or some white man to spy upon and report behind closed doors on a plan to enslave the Negro's minds. In case that actual employment as a spy seemed too bold, the person to be used as such an instrument took up some sort of enterprise which the oppressors of the race warmly supported to give him the desired influence in the community. This racial racketeer might be a politician, minister, teacher, director of a community center, or head of a social uplift agency. As long as he did certain things and expressed the popular opinion on questions, he lacked nothing. And those who followed him found their way apparently better paid as the years went by. His leadership then was recognized and the ultimate undoing of the Negroes in the community was assured. Such leadership too continued, has continued into our day and it goes from bad to worse. The very service which this racial toady renders hardens him to the extent that he loses his soul. He becomes equal to any task the oppressor may impose upon him, and at the same time, he becomes artful enough to press his case convincingly before the thoughtless multitude. What is right is sacrificed because everything that is right is not expedient. 
and what is expedient soon becomes unnecessary. Recently, a citizen observing how we have been thus betrayed suggested that there be called a national meeting to take steps for a program of development of the race from within under a new leadership. Such a movement can be made to mean something and then it can degenerate into an assembly of abuse and vituperation, followed by the usual whereas therefore be it resolved effort which has never meant anything in the awakening and the development of an oppressed people. The Negroes, however, will not advance far if they continue to waste their energy abusing those who misdirect and exploit them. The exploiters of the race are not so much at fault as the race itself. If Negroes persist in permitting themselves to be handled in this fashion, they will always find someone at hand to impose upon them The matter is one which rests largely with the Negroes themselves. The race will free itself from exploiters just as soon as it decides to do so. No one else can accomplish this task for the race. It must plan and do for itself. Checking up on what they do, Negroes often find themselves giving money and moral support to various persons and institutions which influence the course of the race in the wrong way. They do not often ask themselves whether the support thus given will redound in the long run to the good of the people with whom they are identified. They do not inquire whether the assistance thus given offers temporary relief but eventually results in irreparable loss. So many Negroes often do themselves harm when they actually believe that they are doing good. Under their present teachers, they cannot easily learn to do any better. For such training as we undergo, does not open our eyes sufficiently for us to see far ahead of us. If the Negro could abandon the idea of leadership and instead stimulate a larger number of the race to take up definite tasks and sacrifice their time and energy in doing these things efficiently, the race might accomplish something. The race needs workers not leaders. Such workers will solve the problems which race leaders talk about and raise money to enable them to talk more and more about. When you hear a man talking then, always inquire as to what he is doing or what he has done for humanity. Oratory and resolutions do not avail much. If they did, the Negro race would be in a paradise on earth. It may be well to repeat here the saying that old men talk of what they have done, young men of what they are doing, and fools of what they expect 
to do. The Negro race has a rather large share of the last mentioned class. If we can finally succeed in translating the idea of leadership into that of service, we may soon find it possible to lift the Negro to a higher level. Under leadership, we have come into the ghetto. By service within the ranks, we may work our way out of it. Under leadership, we have been constrained to do the bidding of others. By service, we may work out a program in the light of our own circumstances. Under leadership, we have become poverty-stricken. By service, we may teach the masses how to earn a living honestly. Under leadership, we have been made to despise our own possibilities and to develop into parasites. By service, we may prove sufficient unto the task of self-development and contribute our part to modern culture. Thank you.